0: Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher.
1: And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life.
0: Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on.
1: You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more.
0: And now, let's get into this week's Episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going?
1: Well, I am hugging a large block of ice right now. It is very warm.
0: Yes, summer is officially here, which means our PSA about making sure, you know, on every excursion, every adventure you're on, you definitely have more than enough water, uh, more than you think you need. And even when you're out for walks, make sure you've got that trusty water bottle with you. Just ABS, always be sipping.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you can, you're, you're allowed to get dehydrated, this happens, but it's it's these days where it's just, you know, you're sweating, just sitting still, and then you maybe you're out doing some sort of activity or adventure, you know, these weekend things we're on, uh, so you're going to be consuming a bunch of water during that, but it's definitely, to stay on top of it can be quite challenging depending on where you are and how you're set up.
0: And I think just especially in the first couple weeks of the hot weather, I think it...
1: As you adapt. Yeah. 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 And that's adapting both your habits, you know, the setup. Do you bring the water? You guys were talking on the uh, recent podcast with Hillary uh, on trail running tips. A lot of people liked this idea of carrying like almost an emergency... Uh, filter flasks so you can get these collapsible water bottles that also have a filter uh, like the Life Straw or these different brands
0: yeah we actually really like the Katadyn ones maybe we'll drop a link to that in the show notes sure. if anyone's been looking because it's it's collapsible but just has like a filtration head to it
1: yeah and I mean it, it filters out most uh you know things that are bad
0: yeah I do have a friend who actually just brings iodine tablets and that way she can just if she has to fill up a bottle just in you know or fill up
1: her right and, and that the, the tabs take care of the the really small things that the the more physical filters don't the physical filters make the water look and and taste pretty good usually and then there's just this small chance that you're going to get these these other the other like really i think those are like nanoparticles or yeah. something they're really small
0: yeah so anyway uh that's that's just kind of our our reminder and you know now we're we're finally able to start getting out a little bit more peter's actually starting to you know we're getting into booking for private book. yeah
1: um, already into september it seems like quickly so not uh, to scare anyone here but uh yeah uh certainly weekends are filling up quickly so that's good exciting i'm excited to get back to coaching.
0: Yeah, so if you're in the GTA, especially up in the Collingwood area or you get up to the Collingwood area, definitely you know, head to consummateathlete.com and yeah. we have sort of all of our options for... Well, and we're
1: doing skills, we're doing guiding as well, right? A lot of people want to come up to this area to ride our, you know, we have the escarpment so we have the biggest climbs, we have really solid rocks as well, um, and then nearby we also have what I call the world-class area for learning to hop logs uh, as well at uh, Dufferin Forest. So if those are nearby or, or you fancy a trip out to Ontario. would love to have you as mm-hmm. this becomes possible.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and on the note of uh, bike skills, we actually just posted an article on vision and attention and sort That's of right. how how attention and focus need to be kind of constantly shifting, I'm going to say, on our rides.
1: Hmm. And, and looking at it as a skill, right, that we're developing this idea. You know, and this is always, this is, it's sort of a, not nebulous, but it's sort of this, it's a skill as much as, you know, compressing and lifting your front wheel you know this idea that we're always searching for these different things that are that matter right so there's a a left hand corner coming up right and and the further we can be looking and the more in advance and planning we can do but then there's also the idea of reacting to these things and knowing how to react to these things so it's it's sort of a i don't know if that's a meta skill but it's it's a skill that you know we we develop by doing the thing over time you know people who are have ridden for a long time are good at knowing what matters and what doesn't matter and how to react to those things what you know what line to adjust to uh, but i think we can also practice that and really hone that you know just while we're walking you can do it while you're driving this is like defensive driving where you're scanning you know for the or people coming out of driveways
0: right right and stay tuned for my metaphorical take on vision right. focus and right. attention right. vision because and attention you guys know i had to do something around goal setting with that right. naturally right. yes I can't it's, help myself that gets us to today's guest. We have Dr. Mark Bubbs on the podcast.
1: That's right. And he's returning for, this is the second time. He came on maybe last year or, or late in the year prior, uh, talking about his book, Peak. And he's back with a new book. Uh, this is peak 40 so this is for sort of middle age and, and sort of thriving in middle age um, and just all these developments we're having that are letting us sort of thrive and, and do all these sports and have a you know a longer health span so we get into that today with Dr. Bubbs Dr. Bubbs is a naturopathic doctor and also the performance nutritionally. Lead- for Basketball Canada. Uh, he's worked with a lot of different high-performing athletes and, and, and diff- different people who are performing at a high level in different pursuits. So it's always fun having Dr. Bubbs on. He also has his own podcast where he talks to uh, different people in different fields of science, with so different nutritionists, different, you know, athletes, different people who are doing, you know, good research in these different areas that sort of contribute to health and longevity and then also performance. Uh, so I was definitely curious, you know, coming up on 40 here in a few years, you know, what what matters? And and you know what it comes back ultimately, you know, you know you know the answer. We all know the answer, right? It comes back to nutrition and sleep and socialization and mindset. Uh, what I liked about Peak, his his first book, was that there was this big aspect of, you know, how we're framing our lives, how we're framing the things we're doing, how we're looking at this sort of mental performance In the first book, it was for sort of peak performance, but for the forty crowd, you know, we're also looking at this: how we're framing our situation in life. You know, we've reached success in business and family, whatever. You know, why? You know, why are we not as happy as we could be or, or should be?
0: Yeah, the, the happiness section in the book is actually super interesting, uh, even as someone who is definitely nowhere near 40, won't be for years and years and years.
1: Right. Well, that's the idea is that a lot of this stuff is, you know, we can set that course. I've always tried to learn, you know, I've, I've tended to coach people in middle age my whole coaching career. Um, so even when I was younger, you know, it, you start, I, I think you maybe don't understand quite as much when you're, you know, 18, 19, 20. Um, as you do it, maybe now that I'm 37 and and even still, you know, I'm willing to believe that I don't understand, you know, being 50 and 60. So I try and learn and appreciate the insight that the clients I have have as they go through these different phases of life.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think uh, no matter whether you're like well into this, like peak 40 into your fifties, into your sixties, or you're, you're, you know, 10, 15 years out from that, I think it's it's a good episode to listen to and a good book to, to flip through and just sort of start getting a sense of, you know, what you can be doing so you head into it and you're not in any trouble like
1: well and improve our situation too right we all have aches and pains or different things right so i think there's some really interesting things that um you know aren't, aren't super kooky right uh he's the first to say you know we're, we're not necessarily saying go on this huge fad diet you know for a month and you know th- your whole life will be changed or something right
0: mm mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Well, let's, let's maybe let him talk about it. Enjoy this episode with Dr. Bubbs.
1: Welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast. I'm excited to welcome Dr. Mark Bubbs back to the consummate Athlete's second appearance, and he's got a new book. It's called peak 40. I'm very excited because it deals with how we can thrive in our forties and beyond. So Mark, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Much appreciated. Thanks for having me back on.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I like to start, uh, you know, sometimes people go into, you know, education and the stuff. We've done that with you. I want to know, you know, what have you been up to in the last week? You know, we're approaching, you know, uh, the Olympics really too, right? Uh, what's what's going on in your life these days?
2: Yeah, a lot of technicalities around traveling with COVID and athletes with COVID. It's just right. the amount of red tape. Uh, but yeah, we're gearing up with Canada basketball for the Olympic qualifiers. So Uh, On that note, with COVID, we can't actually have the training camp in Canada. And so we'll be down uh, where the Raptors played in in Tampa for for two and a half weeks. And then that will gear up for the qualifying event, which is in Victoria, which is really exciting. And in Canada, we waited so long to have a big event in our country and, you know, a little bit disappointed that apparently we can't have fans. But I think hopefully the vibes will will come through the the television, and everything else, because we'll have a great roster with all our NBA guys. So that's that's a lot where a lot of the focus was, and then of course uh, just with the book. So been keeping me busy.
1: Okay, and you have three daughters. You know, we're setting the stage here for this life <laughs> life as as you know middle age, forties, and stuff. So you have three daughters now. Um, you know, they've been sort of rolling around and and getting through this pandemic and stuff. Um, you know, what's, what's it like been at, been at home for you? You know, you're in London. What's, what's life like these days?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's uh it's funny. Cause yeah, I mean, three kids at home, it's, it's busy as, as, as always. And then with the pandemic's been, I'm sure a lot of people, right. The pandemic's been great for certain things and, you know, getting to spend more time with family and being able to stay home more and these types of things. But on the other hand, when you're try, trying to get things done and there's a seven, four and two year old at home all day long, it's also a challenge. And so, you know, that's uh it's definitely been a long run and I think just for adults as well but definitely with kids just that experience of being connecting with other people and other children Uh, You see, with adults too right you just see people actually shaking hands or hugging for the first time in over a year it seems almost a little bit cruel I think maybe we could have cut the numbers down if we allowed some hugs there along the way but anyway um, it's been yeah it's been a challenging year I think I think it's really highlighted not to go off on a tangent already on you but you know, mental health is obviously in the news and we see even just, uh, you know, today with Naomi Osaka and, and the French Open, I think the, the, the pandemic's really highlighted that as well because that lockdown's obviously been a challenge on the mindset on uh, the mental health side of things, and which was already a concern in society. And so I think we're we're reaching a tipping point now where I think we need to, to help people out in a, in a bit better way. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's, you know, maybe a segue,
1: you know, I want to just make sure that, you know, as you say in the book, you know, you are a regular person who's dealing with, you know, you're doing well in your career, you're, you have family at home, you know, again, we're coming out of the pandemic, but, you know, we have the Olympics, the pressure, time pressure of that coming. So, you know, this is the struggle we have as we get into the 30s and 40s, you know, as you say in the book, we should be, you know, money's you know, getting better, hopefully, if you've been, you know, doing well in your job, you're reaching all these goals. And then there's sort of this, you know, I think you describe it as a a U, right? It's it's a dip. We our happiness
2: actually gets worse despite all these achievements. Well, this was the funny thing with the, the the impetus for the book was basically after I wrote Peak, which was a deeper dive into athletic performance. A lot of the coaches and performance staff and you know even clients were looking for you know a simpler approach or a more you know Cole's notes version of well, what do I need to do? How can I do? What's the minimum effective dose? And so this is was the the impetus for writing Peak 40 and and researching for it, you know, mindset was always going to be a big key, but I didn't realize there's a professor named David Blanchflower from Dartmouth University, an economist who had done a study around the world, 135 or 132 countries. They measured 15 different indices of, of unhappiness, you know, fatigue, low mood, all these various things. And this relationship actually held up across all continents, across all income levels, And it was the fact that happiness from the age of 18 starts to lower and it reaches a a low point at 41, which I thought, okay. You know, I was just, I was 41 at the time. I thought this is great. And then as I'm reading through this low point, which they call the U-shaped happiness curve, actually extends out until 47, 48. Now, this doesn't mean that we're destined to be have a, a lower mood or whatnot for this period of time, but it does reflect, again, when we think of life's demands. We think of training load on an athlete or on a client. We're always trying to manage the the training load or have the appropriate load to initiate that adaptation, that response that we're after. But we don't want to have an excessive load because that will then, you know, our athlete or client won't be able to recover. They won't progress. And when you think of that in terms of, you know, life load, which interestingly is now something that in in elite sport, we think of a lot, right? I I wrote about that in Peak as well, the recovery pyramid, Lachlan Penfold's model around you know, mental, emotional health being the base of the pyramid along with sleep and nutrition. And so this idea that in midlife, whether it's, you know, career, kids at home, so we're not sleeping, whether it's taking care of the parents who are older, there's all of these things that are going on that are stressors. And so even if we just take lack of sleep, right, you've got kids at home, they're waking you up, you know, that alone we see prevents you from disengaging from negative thoughts, Right. And so all of a sudden, these things can start to accumulate as we drift towards a more negative mindset. We might be making different decisions from a nutrition standpoint, right? Because we're just trying to cope day to day or with that exercise regime. We're trying to wait for the perfect time when we have time, which unfortunately, you know, is is not going to come anytime soon. And so, and again, it doesn't even matter. It seems in my practice, when I look, if somebody was very athletic before, they might actually be quite beaten up from all the training over the years and have their own struggles. Or on the other side of the coin, we might have somebody who hasn't been that active and is 20, 30, 40 pounds overweight. And it's like, how can we start to simplify things on a nutrition front? How can we be more efficient with our training so that, you know, we don't need to be weighing our food or counting our macros for the rest of our lives. Like how do we, what's the exit strategy, you know, especially when people are time pressed. And so that was, you know, that was how the, the Peak 40 came about and how mindset, you know, we start the book with that and we, we finish off, uh, on mindset as well. And it is, you know, as you know, in, in sport, obviously even at the highest levels, you know, the six inches between our ears is definitely the limiting factor when it comes to really achieving the goals that you want to achieve.
1: I like it. Yeah. And that was definitely a big part of peak was that mindset. And I, did, I wasn't necessarily even expecting that, you know, I'm used to sports psych being part of it, but you had a great, you know, it's worth picking up the book if you haven't picked up your first book um, for the the look at some of that mindset and, and the sports psych. Um, but I thought the interesting thing here is we're not even necessarily thinking about, I guess we're thinking about optimizing, but we're also recognizing that, you know, our anxiety might increase, our depression might increase, you know, our sense of well-being and happiness, as you say, might increase during this period. So when we're expecting that, um, you know, are, are we're can you help us like, what, what can we do? I guess is, is,
2: you know, let's,
1: let's start. So we'll start with the mental stuff and then we'll also get onto nutrition and training and that sort of stuff. Maybe that's part of it. You know, it is all
2: tangled. Yeah. I mean, and we don't want it to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, this is what a lot of the psychologists who would, you know, debate the U shaped happiness curve would say, well, if you start telling people they're going to be unhappy in, in this period, then you might actually be predisposing them to be less happy. But I guess again, that bigger take would be if we know that this is a period, we know that there's greater demands, I mean, even when we look at some of the cardiovascular disease risk factors, there's a period where men between the ages, again, of 40 and 48, there's actually this blip. Normally, risk increases with age, but there's this blip in our 40s as well. And again, if we take that life load into account of that higher stress whether it's actually the stress you feel or just the busyness through your day right yeah you're you're
1: hustling in job and the kids are getting to teens it to be
2: teenagers there there you go so you're not sleeping whether they're young kids or you're not sleeping because they're teenagers um and so all that adds up and anybody obviously in a period who's lacked sleep it's amazing how even after a few days it's difficult to have your best week and if you think that you might be months or years of insufficient sleep then this really starts to add up and if we even just Highlight how a single night of insufficient sleep, your blood sugar response to the same breakfast you eat every day the following morning goes up. Right. So now we're having a higher peak, if you will, which means a lower valley in that morning. So I don't know if you'd agree
1: with this, but I actually just saw that like that effect of, of the sleep being off um, actually can have more of an effect on blood sugar than even, you know, even the, the food that you might eat the next day you know, we, we all stress about ketogenic diets and low fat yeah. this, but then some of that stuff, you know, it's a probably individual difference, but would you agree with that? That like, it's, it's a pretty big, uh, influence.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is one where fasting glucose is a pretty good marker for just how stressed you are. Now it's, it's tough to measure every morning cause you don't be pricking your finger or whatnot, but it, that, that's definitely a measure of that nervous system fatigue. And so even with the book, we, we, we talk about a lot of the new science around breakfast and obviously fasting is really popular and there are benefits to fasting, but, you know, University of Bath has run this bath breakfast project, which is effectively all the top researchers just investigating breakfast. And it's interesting around this fasting question, because it actually matters if you're lean versus you know very overweight or obese, because you have a different response. And so people who are struggling with being more overweight actually get an exaggerated blood sugar response if they skip breakfast. And in something that's called the second meal effect, if they skip breakfast, their lunch blood sugar response is worse as well. And so it does get really individual um, for the leaner athlete we know that it helps with fat oxidation in the morning to train in that fasted state but interestingly and this is something we see with clients if you're intermittent fast let's say for too long or you start to shrink to you know only two meals of the day and now your your total energy or your protein is lower and they've shown this at the university of bath you'll actually have less spontaneous movement in the day so even right. getting up and moving things as little as fidgeting and even blinking, which do you think, geez, really blinking. Mm. Um, But but to such a degree that it's statistically significant and would contribute to some of these plateaus that people get into with sort of weight loss. And so the idea around getting ourselves off to a good start in the morning of trying to find that breakfast that works for us, trying to avoid the mid-morning snacking for most people really, Um, you know, obviously athletes, people who are performance-based, there's going to be exceptions, but You know, too much of the time we're still grabbing and nibbling on things between Mm -hmm. breakfast and lunch. And it's like, well, wait a minute, even if you're ten percent body fat, you still got thirty thousand calories, right? You could run eight marathons without any fuel. So how come we're struggling sitting at our desk for four or five hours to get from one meal to the next? And that's when we know Okay, so well, your and point, it's maybe, blood sugars could be off. Yeah, et cetera. and that's maybe a
1: hint that you know. Okay, note that you don't have to you know be sitting there just like completely out of it. You know, <laughs> yeah. snack if you need to. But then maybe that's like breakfast wasn't enough. Or we'll talk about turning the dials as you say in a bit here. Uh, but maybe just a different composition, a different breakfast might get a, a better result from well, an the, energy well, that,
2: perspective. Exactly, and that's the point of like if you're that hungry that you really feel like you need to snack almost all the time. If we then say, well, let's circle back and look at what's in that breakfast, because breakfast is the meal of the day that we get the least amount of protein. And so most people were going to be having a bit of a skewed breakfast favoring, you know, a bit more starch. And again, it's individual in a sense of if you're athletic and lean, we definitely need to fuel for the demand. So if you're training, et cetera, um, but even then we can still not get enough protein. And for those folks who are struggling with just sitting at their desk, then, you know, unfortunately the traditional breakfast options like cereal and muesli and juice and these types of things You know, it's great for athletes because it packs a lot of fuel and makes people hungry so we can keep them eating, you know, some of the athletes I have getting ready for Tokyo six, seven, eight times a day. But again, when we talk context, if it's that general client, it's like, wait a minute, we don't want you, you know, be better if we ate three or four times a day and we, we had some bigger gaps there in between
1: yeah it's funny or it's not funny it's sometimes unfortunate right because so much of this context and who we're talking about and, and as you say it could be like you skip breakfast once and then that changes lunch which would have otherwise been okay but you know you've set yourself up in this this way and then there's the the chronic stuff and and sometimes it's like you know it might be good for one thing so it's almost a question of like what is this good for like like for what right like what is the you know with the fasting even like it could be okay well you're getting like On the mitochondrial level, maybe there's benefit, but then are you also gaining weight or not sleeping because of this?
2: Yeah, and there could certainly be, you know, as as an endurance enthusiast and coach yourself, I mean, just being fit is great for mitochondria. Like sometimes, even when we look at some of these discussions around longevity, we get into all these complicated nutritional tools, just going to, just stopping eating at seven o'clock and not eating again until seven o'clock, like having a 12 hour fast which would have been just normal living for our parents, right? Like, That's where know, I try li- and start people when they're yeah. curious. I'm like, well, could you stop earlier? You know, And then
1: somehow that challenge is much greater. The seven to seven fast is much greater you know, than somehow not eating all day.
2: right? When it's interesting because, yeah, but the other piece of the book was this r- researching late eating. And so now over 40% of the calories we consume, this was done in the UK, but it's similar in North America, come after 6 p.m. So we're really back end fueling our days and – A follow-up study done in Germany showed that if you actually cut out dinner, you burn double the calories of cutting out breakfast. Hmm. So even though cutting out breakfast is sort of the the default intermittent fasting mode of choice because it's sort of the easiest. And there's, again, there's benefits. If you want to do it, you can certainly work around things. But this idea that cutting off dinner is actually a powerful strategy for, again, someone who has a lot of weight to lose if they're pre-diabetic... is sort of a better strategy It just shows you how much well that doesn't fit with our culture of you know after work we're getting together with people or yes
1: family dinner uh, right yeah and and, and you do need to consider that i guess too but um but when we know then know you know if we're thinking about this as like a snowball effect here um that that late meal let's not say skipping dinner necessarily as you say that's sort of like a an interesting thing that someone could look at but you know a a dinner at 6 p.m in bed for 9 10 whatever um you know are we setting ourselves up for a better sleep do you think with that earlier meal or that meal that isn't so big um you know versus eating really late right i'm gonna have a bedtime snack at 11.
2: yeah and again you know with peak 40 this idea of just getting into a rhythm with meals so it's like can we eat breakfast at a similar time lunch at a similar time and dinner at a similar time let's get into a pattern where our brain even can start to expect food at those times because it's always amazing to me if you know you're busy you're working I'm able to go and say three meals maybe four a day when i go to training camp with the team and we start feeding the team six times a day and for that two or three weeks i'm eating six times a day guess what happens when i come home the week after man am i hungry all day long because my brain is now used to getting all this food in all day long right and so that's one of the ways that we can set ourselves up so it's actually if you're exercising and and active you know if your dinner is late then that's not a big deal as long as you're having healthy options but this idea that we all fall into and, you know, COVID's probably exposed us as well of like, we sit on the couch, we have something sweet or we have a glass or two of wine and now, you know, the sugar and the alcohol starts to impact sleep. If we keep repeating that enough times, it we become like Pavlov's dog where you're just walking into that TV room with a comfortable couch, right. you know, the back of your brain's chattering at you saying, Hey, where's that nice dopamine hit from that mm-hmm. bowl of ice cream or that, that, that glass of red wine. And, again, the goal here isn't to remove vices from everybody. Like we want people to live a little on the weekends, but if we can set things up to do well, Monday to Friday, I think, and I'm sure you see this all the time. is like, you can still live a little and and enjoy some wine, enjoy friends, enjoy what you want to do on the weekends without having things derail so much. And I think that's often I'll hear clients say, you know, I'm worried that I'm going to lose all my gains by having one bad day, or I'm going off for a weekend. It's like, You know, it's like investments here. I mean, we got to play the long game. If you you have the habits throughout the week, month after week, after week, month after month, it doesn't matter. And I think that's a relief for a lot of people. Um, And you get that on the side where you're trying to lose a lot of weight, but even people who are very active, you know, I'm sure you see it. The people that really dialed in with your training and you're worried that if you miss a block or a few days. That now it's all going to go away. Right. 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 Um, But Of course, same effect in the training, right? If you're consistent and you can, you could you put it out and as we were chatting before around this idea of building out that base and with COVID people haven't been able to race. And so they're actually Build, showing yeah. up and training a more. And now all of a sudden they're getting some great, uh, great progress, right?
1: Yeah. We talked about it It's like availability. It's has been very good. People are there, uh, ready to train and, and training smartly and and so some of that is you know supporting this idea that you're talking about of of routines right where it's you know we sort of have you talked about guardrails actually and keeping an elephant uh, on track um <laughs> you know and the elephant being sort of our habits and our urges you know um do you want to talk a bit about that and, and maybe even some examples of how someone you know keeping on this idea of just the habits we have in the house um you know in terms of this elephant and the guardrails?
2: yeah path. i mean the the rider and the elephant is the metaphor um and it's uh, you know it comes out of some, some psychology research It's this idea that the rider is like our thinking brain, our rational brain, 100 percent. I mean this is a great metaphor. Um, you know the, the rider being on top of an elephant and the rider is our thinking brain, our analytical brain, the cortex. and the elephant is, is the emotional brain. it's the limbic system. And you know this is the work of Chip and Dan Heath and they talk about, you know as the rider, you can tell yourself, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat better, but the height, this is the, like, I just need more willpower. I just need more willpower, more discipline. I can just tell myself to do something, but when you visualize the metaphor, well, the elephant can move you at any point, right? I mean, even if you're the greatest elephant rider, there is the elephant is massive and it's enormous. And that's your emotional side and that, that limbic system. And so the analogy here is that, that you've got to shape the path to steer that elephant in the right direction. And and so when we talk about practical tips, it's that same idea around if we always have something sweet in that same environment in the TV room, watching television every night, and we sit there every night, it gets really difficult because now the elephant's being activated. Like, this is the environment where I get the snack, the tasty thing. And so if we keep repeating that behavior in that room, it becomes tough because it's like we're Pavlov's dog, right? And so the elephant's really being stimulated there. And so how do we shift that? Well... You could try the rider, you know, using just that thinking brain and saying, well, I'm just going to be disciplined and not have a snack while I'm watching television, et cetera. And that can work for a while, but it's it's difficult. Or you can start to shape the path, which means let's start to change the environment. All let right, right. Let's, let's go into a different room and read a book. Let's go for a walk. Let's do some light stretching. Let's, you know, especially at the outset, right, when that habit is really ingrained, because People are always amazed at how if we just change that environment, all of a sudden that craving for that glass of wine or two, which again, you know, enjoy on the weekends or whatever it is in your rhythm. But if it does creep in where we're having it all the time, that's a a roadblock. It's a roadblock for getting leaner. It's a roadblock for sleep and recovery. So performing your best. It's a roadblock for overall health because again, we're getting sugars and things at a time of the day when we're not going to burn them. And so... It's a really, I really like that that metaphor because it does highlight how you, no matter how strong you think you are as a writer, there's no way you're moving that elephant if it really wants to move you in a certain direction.
1: Right. What do you think of the idea of you know uh, uh, keeping stuff off you know out of the house, right? Like it's we just don't buy wine. You know, is, is that something that you could use your rational brain for, and then at least we've set a bit of a you know there's a guardrail. The yeah. elephant might jump over. Well, that's but- a great one because
2: that again sets up the environment where there's not that stimulus or that cue. Right, so even yeah, not having those kind of treats and desserts in the house. Like if you want to go for ice cream, you go and you walk to the ice cream shop and you come back. Um, even you know with clients, especially over a pandemic, I've had one client we just got smaller bottles of wine. It was like the airport size, because one of their problems was well right. the bottles open. So what? So once it's 100%. open, wow, well, come on, I just had one, I feel relaxed now. Let's have a second one, and I don't want to revolve the whole conversation around wine here. Maybe I'm. Talking about my own. No, I think that, that resonates. That's yeah. good. Yeah.
1: If people can insert chocolate bar or whatever. There's yeah. a whole, you know, chocolate bar. Exactly.
2: Open. And so that's one of those strategies where it's like now all of a sudden, and it could be, you know, my kids eat ice cream out of their little bowls. And so like you can control portion size with changing the size of a certain dish that you use or the size of, you know, studies on wine, again, are done in like these eight ounce glasses. But when we go into somebody's home, I mean, these has got these beautiful goblet style wine glasses and you can get half a bottle and one, you know, you get two glasses out of one bottle instead of four. And so some of those things are the things that we can start to adjust to that environment piece. And the way that I hammer this home with, with clients is like, when you sit in your car, what's the first thing that you do? Right? You put your seatbelt on. You're not inspired, you're not motivated, you're not even disciplined to do it, right? You've just done it so many times that the literal act of sitting in the car triggers that response. And so a big theme of the book is we're trying to get to points where you don't have to think about your nutrition all day. You don't have to think about your training. You can just start to embed some of these things that make it an automatic reaction, which in kind of the madness and the busyness of midlife is a nice thing because it just frees up more time and space for other things, right?
1: Sure. Sure. I, I've heard also that, and this can be taken too far, I think. Um, but the idea that like not doing it is actually more painful than doing it. Right? Oh, but so, like the
2: buildup uh, in the mind of what it's going to be like becomes. Yeah.
1: And again, that could become like addictive, you know, with endurance, you know, that certainly people get like too insistent that like they need to do their like three hour ride every day. Right. And this could be excessive. But the the better example I see is like toothbrushing is like for most people, like not brushing your teeth every day would be like that would be painful. That would be really yeah. weird. Right. You'd be actually grumpy. You know, you've tr- traveled in a plane. You didn't have your toothbrush. It's like that's the first thing. And you're that's doing, a great right? example
2: because what would it really matter if we missed a day of brushing, but we become so ingrained in that pattern that not brushing is like mm. that is bizarre. Right. I'm just going to feel so strange. And yet when we bring it to like a nutrition or a training for some people, it does become, you know, feel strange. You're like, well, it's the same. It's just a behavior, right? Um, And so it does show us that we are, you know, if we repeat it enough times. And I think that's really the difference when we look at Olympic athletes, talking about Olympic year, like, and as you know, like the general public thinks that an athlete, Olympic athletes waking up at 5.30 and jumping out of bed like Rocky Balboa and ready to attack the day. And, you know, sometimes, but other times like us they you know the alarm goes off early they mutter under their breath but the big difference is they don't have that question in their head of going should i get up oh maybe i should stay in bed right they just the alarm goes off they get up and they go do it and that's you know your clients i'm sure who are endurance athletes are good at that they just get up and do it and that's that same story of just automating that part so that we can remove you know that decision piece which is always the out you know that potential out we're removing (laughs)
1: Yeah. You never want to make that decision at, you know, five in the morning when you're trying to get out of bed for sure. Yeah. That's a, not, not a good choice. Um, From there then, why don't we, so we've talked a bit about sort of setting up the environment, you know, some of these things that are past willpower. Um, I definitely want to get to make sure we talk about the specifics of nutrition. Um, And then also we want to touch on training and then a little bit more on anxiety and sort of mindset. Um, Does one speak to you right now?
2: Well, I think with this idea of patterns and behaviors, I mean, one of the key pillars that we talk about in the book is called set your protein which is a way of saying one of the most important things when we talk about health training and longevity is eating the right amount of protein and in the book we're not even suggesting this kind of higher amounts that you get even more benefit what we're looking for is again like minimum effective dose if if your worst right. day is always this amount then not only can you succeed now with your again health and training goals but looking down the road, right? We look at research on um, osteosarcopenia, so muscle loss, bone loss as we age, like 50s, 60s, and lack of protein is a big root cause of that. And, the, and when you look at guys like Theo Spoglu, at Leeds Beckett or Prof. Stu Phillips at McMaster, You know, 1.2 grams per kilogram body weight per day is a great minimum mm. to shoot for, to know that your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner on your worst day is 1.2 sets you up for success because just like our toothbrushing and our seat belt analogies if you can repeat that every day and get used to it you can almost put protein in the rear view mirror or know that in certain training blocks we're going to increase um, you know as we go up to 1.6 grams per kilo we do get significant benefit as you work your way up that bell curve but just having that 1.2 grams as a baseline is tremendous because then right you know, you're, you're set up, you've got a good foundation and we can then think about the rest of the energy that's coming from carbs and fats. And, you know, again, people can choose their, their favorite mix of those because we, it's pretty clear now in the research that it doesn't matter if you go one way or the other, we're going to end up in the same, the same place, but depending on, you know, your, your body composition, your genetics, your sport, um, you know, that, that, that's the mix that's going to change the most with people. Typically it's that carbohydrate amount.
1: Okay. And I mean, the protein makes perfect sense to me, but I I wonder, you know, for some reason, it doesn't seem like it's, it should be on paper. It seems like it's an easy thing to do, Um, but there's sometimes people are resistant to it. And I'm, you know, there's a variety of reasons, I guess, but Maybe just, you know, so we're talking about muscle mass, carrying muscle mass into middle age. We're talking about satiety. Is there other, like, what are the other reasons that someone might want to look at protein? Yeah, I
2: think one of the things that we've almost, it's been a bit of a disservice mm-hmm. is that when people think of protein, they think of bodybuilders and they think of muscle. Um, and that's fine. I mean, especially if you're sporty and active, but for some people that sort of puts them off, like protein is just for your muscles. And so the, one of the biggest things that goes missed is that as your protein intake increases, so too does your intake of vitamins and minerals. Right? protein is like nature's multivitamin and both animal and plant-based they both have a lot ironically to what we see in the blogosphere and social media animal protein has more than the plant-based proteins but people can choose their mix and as they increase their protein intake they're getting their multivitamin but in a much better form right a much more bioavailable form and it gets really interesting when you look at um I just had a a researcher on my podcast talking around the phytochemicals in meat, which sounds weird, like, well, phytochemicals come from plants. So how did that get into my meat? Well, the the cow is eating grass for 14 hours a day. And so now they're starting to understand that there's very trace amounts of these important phytochemicals that we're also getting. And so, again, with even the structure of how I practice in the book, it's never you should be animal based or plant based. People can choose their strategy. If you want to be low carb, low fat, keto, everything in between, but the principle of this idea of getting to this amount, which is 1.2 grams per kilo, and, you know, there's a big push to, to increase the RDA up towards that amount just because of the benefits that we're seeing from maintaining health. So that would be, you know, one of the really big ones I'd say is that, you know, you often get people coming in, you know, uh, I, need, I think I need more iron or my B12 is low or, you know, even things like magnesium. And, you know, this is, this is a way to get it. So, you know, that one, the satiety, obviously we hear about, um, not only muscle, but of course your whole body immune system, when we talk about immunity, you know, you need, you need amino acids and protein to.
1: Even, I guess, recovery would probably be improved as we get older Yeah. I mean,
2: the analogy I like there with protein is like, if the busier you are, it's like proteins like bricks in the house. And so the busier you are, the more bricks you're taking out of the walls. And so you got to put them back in somehow. And yeah, so getting that in. And once you've built your meal around, once you start with the protein, then the rest of the meal, you can just build around, you know, how much energy you need to take in versus, you know, if you're more sedentary, more active, uh, that type of thing.
1: Right, right. And you talk about those, we can do these ones briefly, but you talk about sort of turning the dial with the other two macronutrients. So we're talking about fat and carbs. Um, so you want to just touch on that, you know, you have some great infographics everyone can sign up for, uh, at your website, which we'll link to in the, the show notes, um, for all three macronutrients, but you want to just take us through your turning dials analogy. Yeah,
2: and Yeah. so one of the things with, when we finish off the protein is to say that even if you over consume protein, it's very difficult for it to convert into body fat. And if we kind of steer this conversation around body composition for the moment, uh, and so the two other macros you're left with are carbohydrates and fats. and you know the again the metaphor I use with clients is sort of turning the dial on a on the volume or a dj mixing desk um and so when you turn the, the knob for carbohydrates you've got four calories per gram and so you do have to turn that knob down quite a bit to get that caloric deficit that we need to to lose weight or that excess that we need to get you know bigger stronger and that fat dial we don't need to turn quite as far because there's nine calories per gram but the idea that those two control the energy like the volume on the radio and you can primarily do carbs. You can primarily do fats or what we tend to find in people who are, you know, pushing things harder in their training or at the more elite end of athletes is we're, we're, we're mixing it up. You know, certain days or meals are going to be lower carb and certain days or meals might be lower fats. You know, we don't have to, you know, it's a bit like playing golf. Like you don't have to play golf with just a five iron, you know, there's, there's 14 clubs in the bag. And so we want to start to use the ones that suit the person the most uh, to be able to achieve those goals. And so, you know, that's a metaphor that I've used and, you know, to try to help people kind of understand that that concept.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And and I mean, I think understanding that, you know, you have your eggs for breakfast and then, you know, maybe some days are, you know, your recovery days or your off days, you're not training, you're stuck in the office doing zoom calls. You know that might be you know it's just veggies with eggs is, is breakfast right and that's a you know protein with a bit of fat from the eggs maybe some Well, that's just oil. it
2: when we show athletes and clients some of the pictures of like here's your three eggs with leafy greens here's your you know and that's a low carb very low carb day moderate carb right? we got the three eggs leafy greens and some some melon or some fruits in there and then the high carb sure. day we've got the eggs leafy greens the melon and the toast right and so people can now start to right. appreciate how if we just add a few things or take them away. We can actually swing the amount of energy and the amount of carbs. And you know, the same thing goes for yogurt. We can have yogurt with berries, which is the low carb. We can do berries and banana, which is now moderate carb. And we can do berries, banana, and muesli on those days where we're pushing right. more. And so now, without having to kind of overthink things, people can kind of grab different things from their kitchen and start to, you know, be able to move the needle a little bit there in terms of periodizing um, their intake, changing it up from day to day.
1: Okay. And and tied in with this, so this is sort of a brief, we've talked about macronutrients, we've talked about sort of setting up, you know, kitchen, some guardrails for the evening. Um, you know, how does blood sugar then play into this? And, and would you suggest that people, you know, if they have access to something like a finger prick, you know, thing you can get in a shopper's drug mart, or you know, that's Canadian, I apologize, a drug drugstore, you're <laughs> yeah, Canadian, you get it. Um, it. Uh, you know, should we try to, to track this? Where do you think we're at with all that?
2: I mean, I think the most again, with this idea of, if we're framing this and just sort of the busyness of midlife or the busyness, it doesn't always have to be midlife. It could be earlier for people with their work, or it could be just an athlete in general. Um, but again, the midlife sort of magnifies it. So that's why you know, we sort of frame it that way. But CGMs, continuous glucose monitors are a pretty nice tool now that basically you just stick on the back of your arm or on your belly, and it tracks your, your blood sugar levels for a couple of weeks. And you don't even have to get for people who are very excited about it you can get very granular Um, but for people who might be a bit intimidated or think that's a bit too deep on the technology side even just wearing it for a couple weeks is really informative in the sense you'll see some of the peaks that you'll get up to with things Um, or some people might be surprised and realize that the red wine doesn't actually impact your blood sugar levels as much as they might have thought but what you then get is and when we use this with athletes we start to see that they start to drive the, the questions and the changes Right, like. Ooh, like I had this for breakfast. Why did my blood sugar go up when I had oats and maple syrup and, you know, two, three sugars in my coffee and et cetera, et cetera. And so that's kind of a nice framework, especially as a practitioner to work from where the, the patient, the clients now asking the questions like, wait a minute, what happened here? Um, how do I modify that or how do I get it to do this? And so you can start to see that with a CGM. You can even just see what you wake up with that idea of that first morning glucose marker. You know what is your blood sugars when you wake up yeah that'll start to give you a bit of information okay
1: so it would be worth like you could try just the finger prick the old style um, yeah you you know i think you're right the cgm is going to become more available but you could do just that cheaper solution sort of as a one time you could prick your finger or even just go into your
2: doc for your regular physical you know and and seeing where you're at like if, i guess if you're, blood if, work yeah you know ideally we like people under five for that fasting glucose in the morning now you know try not to have a coffee before you go to a lab try not to be you know, sprinting down the street because okay. you're late, that type of thing, but all things being equal, if, right. you know, you're fasting glucose, your A1C, your HbA1C, which is your three month average, like some of these things, you know, being inside the normal range is the first marker. But like a lot of the clients that you see, if you're if you're healthy, we want to start comparing you to you every year. So are you moving towards the better side of the range or are you, and again, in midlife, we tend to drift a little bit because now we're staying up later and all of a sudden making different choices. Now we're, we're pushing up towards those upper normal ranges. Um, and that's where you get the client who comes in who says, I'm tired, um, my, my libido's low, I don't feel the same with my mood. And there's nothing necessarily like diagnostic that comes out when the GP runs a test to say, oh, you're diabetic. Or, But when you, a bit like looking at an athlete who's overtraining, when you look at the constellation of markers, like you know the inflammation's going up, the blood sugars are going up, triglycerides are going up, some of these mar- other markers of inflammation are being impacted. Okay, well, now we, you know, that's the kind of soup that creates lower mood that creates we know that you know the nervous system is being taxed creates the lower libido and those kind of things and, and so all those things right. are just a place to then circle back and have that conversation okay how are we fueling how are we training how are we sleeping because those three buckets even at the tip, you know the sharpest end of the, the spear we're going to find some gaps that we can help people with right
0: we're just taking a quick break from today's episode to talk to you about inside tracker So you want to take charge of your health and wellness. That's why you're here. You're trying to do all the right things for your body to get more energy, better sleep, and a healthy immune system. And you probably want to improve your performance. And of course, live a healthy, adventurous life for a long time.
1: But it's confusing out there. There's so much information and misinformation, and what works for someone else might not work for you. You want a clear picture of what your body looks like on the inside a clear measure of whether your diet and exercise choices are helping or hurting, and a clear idea of who and what to trust when it comes to health, wellness, and performance guidance.
0: Founded in 2009, Inside Tracker is the ultra-personalized performance system that analyzes data from your blood, DNA, and fitness tracker to help you optimize your body and reach your health and wellness
1: goals. The recommendations that come from the analysis are ultra-personalized, and you can choose the ones that are most compatible with your lifestyle. Each recommendation is directly linked to a peer-reviewed scientific publication.
0: And Inside Tracker doesn't just show the normal biomarker zones; they show you the optimal biomarker zones and numbers that are best for your body. And now, for a limited time, you can get twenty-five percent off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com/consummate. That is insidetracker.com/consummate. All right, now back to the episode.
1: And we started talking today um, about sleep and it's important. So we mentioned that sleep is, you know, it's a good way to try and control blood sugar. And then we talked about that evening routine when we're eating, how late we're eating, um, you know, alcohol before bed. Those could be things that influence sleep, but also directly to blood sugar. Um, and then we talked just now about the meal, the different macros. So as you say, pulling some sugar out of the coffee in the morning, you know, maybe uh, yeah. a little less carbs, you know, do we feel better? Do we start sleeping better? So there's a few ways we can, you know, go after this, right. We've talked about a few different avenues there. Um, I like the, the blood test is a good one, right? Maybe people haven't been in to see the doctor, especially over this last year or two.
2: Yeah, exactly. Just get that kind of baseline and, you know, women tend to go in more regularly to the doctor so they tend to be the ones who have the regular physical and have when you ask them for the blood values they can find them whereas right you know a lot of times men aren't so good at that it's like, nothing's when wrong the last, they're good what was the last they're physical was like, 1997. Yeah, i was like, 16. Got, you know and so that's when we need to get some baselines because you get a lot of guys now we want to do okay i want my testosterone to be higher i want my you know start getting focused on that and we'll spend a hundred dollars on a supplement to try to do it it's like well wait a minute yeah you know, your testosterone yeah. is low because you're run down you're tired you're not you're not training right or you're not eating right like those are the big buckets that and are
1: that blood sugar can influence testosterone oh, right
2: f- for it sure di- yeah t-
1: probably directly but then also just because you're not you know that's gonna influence sleep and energy and all this other stuff that
2: feeds back yeah I mean as you gain weight you, you gain more body fat and so you have more aromatase enzyme which basically converts your testosterone over to estrogen. And so you're like a leak in your, in your car, or, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're losing. And so that's where, you know, most of the time if we start to patch those things up, it's like a boat with too many holes. We don't really need to boost things. We just need to start plugging the holes and the testosterone will naturally Great. come like back that. up. right?
1: Yeah. Now you mentioned that as like signs of inflammation. Um, maybe that's not intuitive. Uh, I wonder, you know, is blood sugar, is that inflammation? Is that, or how, how do those relate?
2: Yeah. I mean, inflammation is a process. And so, you know, if you're injured, obviously you have a, you know, you fall down, you you hit yourself and inflammation kicks off to start the the healing process. When you have a cold or a flu, the the first line of defense is what we call the innate immune system. It just kicks up inflammation to start sending the general soldiers in there before the special forces part of the immune system starts to come in next. Um, So what happens though, is it's a little bit of inflammation. is good when you train, you lift weights, when you do your sessions, it kicks off inflammation. Inflammation is the signal to the brain that we want to adapt and get stronger. The problem when we get unfit or if we overtrain is that now the noise, there's this chronic inflammation, right? And right now you and I can hear each other well because I'm speaking to you. There's no background noise. You know, a few hours ago, if we, were, if we were talking and my three girls were screaming in the background, I wouldn't be able to hear what you're saying. And so what happens in the body, especially when we gain weight or if we're overtraining, this, this general inflammatory noise comes up. And this actually will dampen all your, you know, a lot of the adaptations that happen in training. And it's fascinating because as you get older, we tend to see higher inflammation. And we typically tell people, well, don't take ibuprofen before you train. But in older populations, when the the ones who took ibuprofen, which lowered that ambient noise, actually had a better effect in their training. Now, that's not a suggestion to take ibuprofen before you train when you're older. It just reinforces the principle of like, if we can lower this inflammatory noise, we can hear the signal better. And so whether that signal's coming from what you're eating or how you're training, you know, that's a really powerful part of of what's happening. And again, the inflammation, low mood connection is really strong. And so, you know, that whole story is, is being played out in midlife with the lack of sleep and the weight gain and everything else. And so if we can start to make some small changes there, we can see that. And again, it doesn't matter. You could be really fit endurance athlete and have this higher inflammation from being, from that training side, again, this sort of weird parallel, if we go all the way to the other side of the spectrum, we could have the 30, 40 pound overweight where that, you know, the the adiposity is creating that excessive inflammation. And so you've got to watch, you know, on on either side of the spectrum.
1: Okay. Um, So then in line with that then, so is there, is there training that we should do or shouldn't do uh, as we're getting older to, I mean, build muscle, feel better, avoid inflammation? Um, Is there anything you can give us in that direction?
2: Well, Again, this will come down to... I mean, we talk about time-efficient training in the book. And so, you know, with with the group that might be listening to this podcast, that people are already fit and active. Again, it's about training smarter, not harder as you as you age. Because, again, we want the quality of what we're doing to be high. So, Because we can't get the same volume. We can't beat ourselves up like we did in our 20s and, you know, doing CrossFit every day or Olympic lifting or the amount of mileage. Because if you do that, you're going to end up in that excessive inflammation state that we talked about. And that's when, how you think, how you feel, how you sleep—all that starts to go sideways. And so, again, it's it's individual as you get older. But this idea of trying to just be more—you know—the the sessions that are intense, let's be really purposeful with them. Um, if if you are pressed for time, you know, whether it's hit type training or being, you, know, you can do a lot in a small amount of time. And then those longer sessions. Again, back to our earlier conversation. Like, can we get people to go slower and longer? Can we for those really aerobic sessions. Can we keep the aerobic sessions aerobic, you know, for a lot of people that, um, is, imp- is important. So right. the first place that people aren't moving, it's like, hey, we got to get you moving again. You know, even just carrying your groceries home from the grocery store is a, is a great, that's another one that sort of auto-regulates itself. Like all of a sudden, if you're buying a lot of alcohol or soda pop, or it weighs a lot. <laughs> right so you gotta earn you, it and you, yeah. you gotta carry it home and so it's amazing how the next time like you know what i might have a smaller bottle or i might not eat that yeah. but of course yeah. you're getting stronger as you're carrying it so i think even you know and i guess i get it we live in north america but it's a if that's a real big eye-opener when you have when you see kind of the european or even the you know let's say london versus or or a lot of the bigger cities actually anywhere where people walk more versus when we get out to an urban um you know get out to uh, suburban environments got to be careful when, you know, everything's in the car, right? How do we carve out that time? Yeah,
1: I really like sweet potatoes. Um, You know, that's how I fuel a lot of my workouts, but I'm very lucky my wife, Molly, she's uh, quite strong. She's quite compact, but very strong. And she will like, basically she'll go with a backpack and get, you know, five, six, you know, seven, eight pounds of sweet potatoes. It doesn't take much, right? Like sweet potatoes are pretty heavy. Uh, And so those cashiers are always laughing at her because she's like this little, little thing getting all these sweet potatoes and filling her backpack. And then she'll walk back across town
2: with all these... Sweet that's, potatoes. That's amazing, and, it, and the uh, the weird part too is when you, the reaction people have, like it's so out of the normal that people will just be like, well, "What are you doing? You're walking with your with." Heavy well, we bags? always joke.
1: We we feel like we people think we're homeless or something, and I'm like, that shouldn't be the way this is, right? like
2: <laughs> Yeah, and it explains a lot, right? Because we sort of we've we've reverse engineered all the all the the moving and the carrying out of our lives. But even you know, hey, go get your go get your bottles of wine or your beer and just carry it home. Yeah, there you go. That's your workout. I mean, you're going to spend right. a lot of calories. It's great, you know, upper lower core, the whole deal. So. Yeah. Well and
1: play with kids, right. I think it's not even the food stuff. Like it's, I, I try and encourage especially during this last year, right. It's been just this eye opening thing where it's like, yeah, the whole family wants to go for a hike, you know, go do that. Yeah. Right. Like some of this, uh, Katie Bowman talks about stacking, right. So, you know, going to the grocery store, doing walking meetings, right? Doing, yeah. spending time with your family or a friend, like this is stacking our movement. It's not just like at one o'clock, I'm going to exercise for sure. one hour alone, right?
2: Again, and yeah. And this is like, you, you stack it, you embed it in your day, right? When you, when you build out these things, it becomes your example of the brushing the teeth where it feels weird to not carry your groceries home or to not play with your kids, Versus unfortunately, again, in midlife, when life gets busy, it's like all of a sudden we're in meetings all day, we're working all the time and we're trying to find these little spaces to carve out with our family and our friends where it's like, to your point, how do we, how do we create those more that are stuck in the day? So they're there and they're strong and we can then, you know, cram the other stuff into the other hours.
1: Right, right. Yeah. I have a, several kinds who do a great job of that. You know, they're walking with the family in the evening, but then they also maybe commute to work on bike or something when, when we used to have to go to work, um, yeah, Exactly. you know, and that's coming back a bit, but that's, you know, this is the idea. So trying to make it so that it's a little more part of your day. Um, yeah, and
2: start small. Like pick one thing that's getting up and going for a walk, whether it's, you know, carrying stuff home, whatever it is. But like, to your point, like if we could pick one thing and try to repeat that little thing, it goes back to some of that research around, I forget what study it was, but it was like, tell someone to go down and do 30 push push-ups or something to that effect. And, you know, 20 or 30% of people do it. And then if you ask them to do one push-up. Almost one hundred percent of people volunteer, mm. but the pushups they do once they've started doing pushups is almost the same. You know what I mean? so Interesting. It's like just getting them started, just just making the gap small enough that they want to start the process, and they'll actually end up doing more. Um, you know that then mm. if it's like, oh, that's a big hurdle. You want me to do thirty pushups? I don't know if I can do that.
1: Right, right, yeah. It's finding that's that that like amount that you are willing to like. I will do this. Like I am one hundred percent confident I can do a pushup, one pushup every day for the next thirty right? And it's like you say, maybe you do more.
2: And you're already down there. So you're going to do more than one, right?
1: (laughs) Well, and then you're getting up and down off the floor. So it's, yeah, it sort of flows into a bunch of other stuff. So two more thoughts here, uh, and then we'll, we'll be through, but the, I want to, you know, related to exercise then as we're getting older, you know, I'm feeling I'm 37 now. So I I was really keen because I've tried to learn from my clients. I've always had, you know, master's aged adult uh clients so i've tried to you know learn from their wisdom of like you know oh when you're 50 you'll know (laughs) right like uh achy you know joint replacements this type of stuff achy shoulders everyone has achy shoulders so we've talked about how our food you know having more protein we've talked about sleep helping with recovery Is there anything, you know, as far as these achy joints, this, you know, maybe we might call this inflammation, we might call this uh, arthritis, uh, some of the stuff that is just, you know, seems like if once you get into those 40s and 50s, no one comes out without some of these (laughs) things. So is there anything else that we haven't talked about aside from sort of these nutrition and, and sleep concepts? Yeah,
2: I mean, there's some different tools, and it's funny even how like you can be really strong in the gym, and then like, carrying your two-year-old around for a year or your Always multiple the kids It's like, yeah. why is it, You know, why can someone curl eighty pounds, but their thirty or forty-pound kid all of a sudden starts to, to yeah, light up that shoulder, and now the t-spine starts to get stiff, and it's amazing how those things add up. And uh, yeah, in the book we talk actually, Phil Mickelson, we use, which is I bring that up because of his recent win. You know, almost ten years ago, his he had. Uh, pain so bad after a tournament, he couldn't even move. And there he was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis, which is a, an autoimmune form of arthritis. And, you know, he was in constant pain and, and he admitted, admittedly said he didn't have a very good diet and was overweight. And so to kind of you know reaffirm on that side you know he, he did change his diet which had a big effect on the inflammation and he actually won the us uh the british open in 2013 after he'd after he'd made those changes and of course now he's really doubled down on a lot of that after hanging out with people like tom brady and and he has a recent win at the pga and so i think when we obviously the nutrition the sleep piece is is key but from there you know there's a lot of interesting stuff around the hot and cold exposures and so you know People with chronic pain, that pain pathway, the brain gets sort of better and better at sensing pain and you know exposure to really cold temperatures can sort of reset that, right? It's almost like the brain gets so shocked into this fight or flight moment where you know, adrenaline goes up, cortisol levels go up. Um, there's a gentleman named Mike Tipton who's over here at uh, Portsmouth University, he does a lot of research on this um, as it relates to not just pain, but even mood as well. Um, and it does have a big impact
1: yeah, I found for mood. I, I don't do it that much because it's miserable, but um, even the cold. It sho- helps if you have
2: a lake or a, a body of water to jump into rather yeah. than to tiptoe into your tub.
1: Yeah, but even even cold showers, I think you are on board with to get started, no?
2: Yeah, so that's on the cold side. So anything you can do that, yeah, I mean, the, the tubs help or if it's a jacuzzi or if it's a lake um, or the shower, just turning the knob. But then the other end of the spectrum is where we often start with people that idea of making the, the gap as small as we can. When you look at hot tubs, right? which is easier to get people to go into. I mean if you're struggling with high blood pressure, if you're struggling with, with high blood sugars, uh, both of which will mean that you've got more inflammation, which when you have those things, you typically have you know the achy joints. and it's a great question for trainers to ask you know their clients too and they when they complain of achy joints, but like, oh you know when you went to your doctor last time, you know, how is your blood pressure? And oftentimes it will be in the 130s which which lets us know that there's something not right with the fueling, with the training, with the sleep, right? There's this, Hmm. it shouldn't be that high. And you
1: think the blood pressure could relate to some of this pain in the joints?
2: Well, anytime someone has high blood pressure or high blood sugars, or if those things typically happen together, it means that there's going to be more inflammatory noise, like back to our Mm. conversation about that. So it's this whole picture then that comes up. And and this idea of exposures to more cold and more hot help with the blood pressure and blood sugars, as well as, (laughs) You know, especially that cold of, of really reframing the way that the brain senses pain, and so you know that's one way on the modality side. And then you know, um, you know, from there, there's there's various uh, herbals like COX two inhibitors, like your curcumin's, which can help reduce inflammation in a nice gentle way, or omega three supplementation, which can help. Uh, not as powerful as ibuprofen, um, but but not you know not, not not the side effects as well. So those are some areas that people can explore. But uh, typically if we can get the, typically the blood sugars are a bit higher, the blood pressure is a bit higher. And it'll let you just know that there's just, you know, the whole terrain there is is more geared towards that inflammatory. That's interesting.
1: Noise. Yeah, no, that ma- it makes lots of sense. Yeah, and so I have a few people I'll have to check in on this a little bit deeper here. Um, I like that. So then to finish off, you know, we talked about cold now and I mentioned sort of, you know, I found that I, I tend to be a little morose, I'll be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I think level, but morose. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did find uh, when I actually did, we were in Victoria at CSI Pacific and we were able to do like an actual cold plunge. So like quite, quite cold. And, and, you know, there was someone there sort of like supervising and it was like quite uh, chilly and and for the time and everything else. I found just a crazy change in mood, like just that, I I guess it's just, you're so alert and so, you know, fight or flight sort of full gas there. Yeah. Um, But I found even the same thing doing, you know, a cold shower in the morning you know, just even for a, a quick minute, you know, in and out, um, a huge change. Is there anything else uh, as far as anxiety and some of the stuff that sets in again, related to this you that we started talking today about?
2: Yeah. I mean, the way that we, you know, we, we circle back to mindset in the book. And I think one of the things that really becomes more apparent in midlife, and this is conversations again with clients and with coaches and performance staff and you know, myself, even this idea of, of pausing for a minute to look at, you know, what's, what are our values? Like, what are the things in our life that are the most important? Because it's easy to get down this, you know, performance path or achievement path or all these other paths that we then start working hard towards, Um, you know, and, and, and that's tremendous, but sometimes we don't realize that we're headstrong into one direction and perhaps, you know, whether it's family, kids, other things that are important. And so this, this notion of, taking a minute to actually identify your values. What is what is important in your life? Because it's I found it amazing with clients of all types that once we start asking them to change behaviors, if I know your values, I don't even have to start telling you to change behaviors. Once I highlight a certain behavior is 180 degrees in opposition to your values, it starts to become really apparent to people, oh, okay, I shouldn't be doing that back to our you know, half a bottle of wine every night because I wake up tired and now I can't be this, the dad or the mom I want to be to my kid or have the energy to play, or I'm achy and stiff. And so now some of those old, you know, patterns that we're stuck into, and we all have them, it it becomes a little bit easier to orient ourselves, you know, towards those values. And so that's, that was an interesting part of digging into the, the science there and to get back to even tie it in with cold exposure. One of the things that I found cool was, you know, there's this, what they call experiencing awe, which is, you know, you see a vast um, you know, lake, ocean, forest, even looking at pictures or listening to a, a song or an inspirational speech. This actually triggers different parts of the brain. And, you know, there's two components of happiness. One of them is actually life satisfaction, which is tied to how much money you make. So people who have higher incomes tend to be more satisfied with their life. But it doesn't actually but the second component is subjective happiness. And, and that's the one where your financial situation doesn't impact it at all. And in fact, the more money you have might actually make that worse. And there aren't that many strategies that can impact both of those elements and just experiencing awe is one of them. And so in this year of lockdown, when we've all been stuck inside, not getting outside, when people are struggling with feeling low or, or not feeling themselves or being overwhelmed or catastrophizing situations, just getting out into nature and just pausing for a minute can actually light up areas of the brain that are associated with with positive mood and have direct impacts on both of those elements of happiness and again this idea of making it the least like it's it's kind of the easiest thing to do isn't it to just go sit somewhere nice or to go flick through some old photos of travels or or whatever it is like that's the one of the things that can start to light that match um that that motivation inspiration and so You know, I think between those two things with knowing your values and trying to identify and and what they call actually dispositional awe, which is trying to find these little moments of awe in your week, which uh, interestingly happens more than we think about. I think it was like three times a week in some of the research. Yeah, about three times a week. And so this is where, again, you can that mindset shift of trying to find those pieces that, that make us that effervescent self that we want to be versus getting stuck on that loop of lack of sleep high demands high stress is this project finished like that conveyor belt that can seem to you know when, when months go by like days used to that's when we need to start to pause and, and right. figure out how to slow things down
1: yeah yeah no I think that's that's good it's it's simple advice it's it's not uh easy to do uh, but I think you know looking around while we're on our bike rides while we're on these walks you know taking know, five minutes before you get going on your day and check your emails and stuff, right? Just to you know, even go outside, for, you know, wherever you are, you know, look around.
2: For sure. And especially if you feel like you're just kind of like, you know, the stress levels are high or you're, you know, and, 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 you know, and again, in men actually things like low mood don't experience themselves as like sadness or that type of thing. It tends to be more irritability and anger, right? Right. And so when you find yourself, you know, muttering under your breath or cursing under your breath for every little thing that goes wrong. Like these are the moments to sort of pause and be like, all right, let's just slow this down. Or I need to, you know, as you mentioned, some of the examples there, because um, that's something that I'm noticing with a lot of the clients that come in. And I've been amazed to your point it's it's simple, but it's just not easy to do in this kind of storm of busyness. And, but if we actually make a bit of time, we can start gaining that momentum in the right direction rather than that snowball, you know, rolling down the hill too quickly.
1: Hmm. I really like that. You pointed out the anger, you know, sadness might be anger. Uh, You know, that might resonate with some of the the men you say, or it could resonate with anyone, right? But we might not realize that that's some of this.
2: Yeah, that's, it's really, especially the research in depression in men, it's much more that picture than it is the kind of like, uh, you know, exhausted or, or, you know, sad or that type of thing. And so, and it is quite different to women, which is interesting.
1: (laughs) Well, this has been super, super interesting to me. Uh, so, thank you for taking the time tonight. I know we're a little later for you, so I appreciate you staying no up and, and chatting uh, about all things middle age. Uh, so, people can find out more at drbubs.com/peak40, or just go over to drbubs.com, and I'm sure you'll find your way over there. You're uh, at Dr. Bubbs on the social medias, and the book is available everywhere now. Is there anything I missed? Uh, Dr. Bubbs. No, that's
2: that's that's great, and we do have a little mobility challenge going on. So it's a free little five day mobility challenge. We um, paired up with some colleagues, Dane and Frey, over at Move Daily, and and yeah, five days kind of walk you through a movement complex, and that's a way to help people to the some of the questions we had here around reducing pain and like how can we start moving a little better? Sure. In a real less than five minute ways. So
1: well, that's good as well. Yeah, we'll link to that as well because uh, yeah, we didn't get for further into sort of strength training or mobility. So that'll be a great teaser. People can go check out that free challenge.
2: Perfect. Well, listen, I appreciate the time. And you know, at Dr. Bubbs on social media, if anybody wants to follow up with questions, I'm, I'm pretty active on that as well.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, good luck with the book and good luck hopefully with the Olympics as uh, we set off on
2: that journey. Hey, fingers, fingers crossed.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram, at consummateathlete,
1: and we will see you next week.